0: Welcome back to the OIS podcast with Dr. Asan Sadri. This week, we had the pleasure of speaking with Todd Brady, who is an MD, PhD, turned VCEIR, turned CEO of Altera. Let's hear Todd talk about his experience as a real life apprentice.
1: Hi, everybody. This is Asan Sadri. I'm a board-certified ophthalmologist here in Newport Beach, California. Um, and for those of you who may or may not be listening to our podcast uh, at OIS here, we generally like to bring in the I- innovation um, and experts in the next sort of unmet needs. Um, the other sort of thing, hat I wear is uh, I'm uh, also involved with... Uh, Uh, visionary ventures here located in orange county i was a a general uh, partner and also i'm a a co-founder and so um you know i'm absolutely intrigued to have todd brady who is the fearless uh, leader of aldera here visiting us today how are you doing todd
0: great great thanks for thanks for having me
1: no, it's a pleasure. And you know, as at the, you know, what we do at OIS Podcast is really bring the unmet needs and also the entrepreneurs, CEO leaders, and sort of dive in and talk about um, your background and your company. Uh, for those people who don't haven't heard about you, maybe give us a little background of what led you to become involved in uh, eye care and ophthalmology, and um, we we can start from there.
0: Now, as a company, was founded uh, in 2004, in fact, and out of Harvard uh, by a retinal group. And so the the initial days of the company were really based on on working on retinal disease. Um, In fact, in the early days, it was just an idea uh, around a novel pharmaceutical target that we call RASP, which stands for Reactive Aldehyde Species, and uh, you know, venture capitalists don't really fund companies like this anymore, but uh, truly back in the napkin. In fact, I used to say we couldn't even afford the napkin. Uh, uh, but we did raise institutional financing in 2005 from Domain Associates, where I was a principal at that time, and then Johnson & Johnson Development Corporation, which is the venture arm of uh, Johnson Johnson. And I think the first financing, believe it or not, for Aldera was a $500,000 uh, seed bump which which converted many years later into a series A uh, round. the company historically has always been based on the eye because of that initial group at Harvard that was focused on on the relationship of rasp uh, to to retinal disease and we've continued working on the eye we've, we've sort of fast forward development to the front of the eye uh, because it was a little easier to test the conditions. Uh, it didn't require injections into the eye or oral administration. You know, with these anterior segment diseases, you could administer drug topically with eye drops. For us, that made more sense. So we uh, are now in phase three and dry eye disease. We're in phase three and allergic conjunctivitis. But we've maintained that that retinal interest and and now have uh, uh, since in still. ADX2191, which is an injectable drug for treatment of proliferative retinopathy, which is a retinal disease. And we have now our own RASP program uh, for retinal disease, which I hope will be in the clinic in the next year or two. So we've traditionally been focused around the eye. Now more recently, we developed an oral RASP inhibitor, ADX629, uh, which will be used to treat um, systemic inflammatory diseases. Uh, we're starting out psoriasis and asthma, and with luck, we'll get a COVID trial up up soon. So the company has really sort of um, grown, if you will, from the the back of the eye to the front of the eye, and now I think systemically um, uh, with, with the program. And I think one of the reasons for that is the initial target, RASP, really applies broadly throughout the body. Uh, RASP are implicated in inflammatory diseases. And, uh, and many, many diseases have some sort of component of inflammation. Alzheimer's disease, cardiovascular disease, cancer now is an inflammatory disease, right? Too little inflammation.
1: Yeah, I saw that. Uh, you're, you're, I saw that you're involved in the ovarian cancer, right? That's right. That's right.
0: We unlicensed another product that is sort of a broad immune modulating product, uh, especially where there's proliferation of immune cells. Uh, ADX-6012 is the name of that product, and, um, and you know, proliferation is all about cancer. And so there's a, a former owner of the asset had, had numerous cancer programs, and one of those that sort of left over was ovarian cancer, and that, that trial should be reading out, uh, you know, in a year or so. So a lot of irons in the fire, a lot of um, uh, different approaches to different diseases, uh, but, but we believe in that, in I think, in biotech. Uh, it's dangerous to put all your eggs in one basket to run one trial in one disease with one asset. Uh, instead, we have a sort of a shots-on-goal approach at Aldera. And uh, We're thrilled about RASP in particular because it applies, as I said, so broadly across, across numerous diseases.
1: So tell me about that because this is an interesting. I know your, your background, you know, you're, you were at Duke, right, and then you studied pathology, and, and then before that you were um, at Dartmouth. And what made you
0: go into ophthalmology? Yeah, I've, I've always liked ophthalmology um, uh, simply because the eye is sort of a model in a way for the rest of the body. You think about all kinds of diseases that affect the eye: infectious yeah. disease, cancer, vascular disease, you know, genetic diseases, and and yet the eye is um, so accessible. As you mentioned, topically you, you can bathe the eye and drug, you can inject drug right into the eye, and it's sort of this self-contained uh, unit. So we're, we're, because of that, I think we're one of the first companies to really start in the eye and expand systemically, if you will. I think you see a lot of the opposite. You see a lot of companies developing drugs elsewhere and then saying, well, why don't we try them in the eye? Cyclosporin is, is a great example yeah. of that. So, yeah, so in terms of, in terms of background, um, I studied... In graduate school, I studied uh, oxidative toxicology, primarily nitric oxide, superoxide dismutase. My challenge there was that those those toxins are very short-lived. They're extremely reactive. And uh, when we happened upon this company, when I was in domain, we happened upon uh, the beginnings of Aldera. What fascinated me was... Here we had a toxin that was sort of long-lived. RASP or or aldehydes are are much more stable. Um, They're they're sort of broadly active throughout the body. They're really, in a way, uh, sort of potent, long-lived second messengers that, that, that are a bit like small molecule cytokines or leukotrienes or other kinds of inflammatory mediators. Yet, no one had ever worked on them in terms of sequestering them or living them. And, and we seem to be the first company uh, focused on that. So so for us, I think it's a it's an exciting opportunity uh, uh, to say that.
1: Yeah, and, it, and it, it, you know, it's incredible because you've been there for a, a long time. You, you know, you've been there since 2012, I think. Is that what I read on your website? And it is remarkable because, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, um, you know, that we have on and, and is in, in the market just sort of, do something and then they move on. And so it's kind of interesting that you stayed on and kind of now have worked on different sort of shots on goal. What excites you right now? Give us an update what's going on with the company. Um, I know you're in different disease states. If you were to force rank, um, what would you force rank top to bottom and then why?
0: Well, the, the, the greatest focus of late uh, on, on the company has been on the Dryad Disease Program. Obviously, of the diseases we've talked about today, dry eye disease is sort of the most popular among investors, the most popular among physicians and patients and so forth because of the unmet medical need. I mean, we have something 30-odd million patients in the United States. Very few of them are treated. um, You know, for rastasis and zydra, which are sort of the two classic drugs to to treat the disease, uh, most of those patients last a few months on therapy, if that um, you know, 60% to discontinuation rates and so forth. So it's, it's sort of a disaster in terms of uh, unmet medical need for dry disease. And I think because of that, we've gotten a lot of interest in that, in that particular program. And, and most recently, we've met with the FDA about the remainder of our phase three program. We've posted a positive symptom results in, in two trials and in, in three trials. And I saw that. Yeah. So we're absolutely thrilled about that. I went to the FDA and the FDA said, okay, for your sign, you know, the FDA requires a symptom and a sign for approval. And for your sign, uh, you can use RASP, which is amazing for us, right? Because the way the drugs work, uh, the RASP detectors work, is they bind chemically. So one molecule of drug binds covalently to another molecule of, of RASP. And so, it, it, and in a sense, what the FDA said is you can follow that chemical reaction uh, in tears, for example, or, or in some other way. Uh, in a patient, and that can be your endpoint, which is amazing because it, it validates the company. It validates the platform. It validates the target. Uh, for us, it should be relatively uh, easy to do. And so uh, that's the huge news recently. And I, I think there's been a lot of interest in the company uh, because of that.
1: And so, and then, so when, they, when you heard that, uh, are you now entering phase three? Is that ongoing now?
0: Right, so what we've announced is that we're going to run two Phase three sign trials to demonstrate changes in effective signs for dry disease. And uh, the the trials themselves will last somewhere between 2 and 28 days, and the reason for that range is it depends on how you measure RASP. So you can measure RASP acutely, that is, levels of uh, of, of RASP using ASPEC, for example. Uh, uh, or you can measure changes in RASP over time with an ELISA. And what the ELISA measures is two levels of bound RASP. So, as you know, the ELISA is an antibody based approach. One of the problems in disease is you have RASP floating around, they bind to proteins, and all of a sudden your immune system recognizes that protein is foreign, and you generate autoantibodies, and, which are sort of characteristic of the classic. Uh, characteristic of, of autoimmune diseases such as rheumatoid arthritis, these autoantibodies or lupus autoantibodies, same thing. RASP are implicated in that. In fact, RASP-bound proteins have been described in those diseases. So therefore one can use an ELISA to measure or an antibody-based approach to measure bound RASP. Now it's interesting the interplay between free rasp and bound RASP, free rasp you know occur acutely. As a result of inflammation, uh, very early on in the, in the inflammatory cascade, we like to say pre-cytokine. So one of the one of the earliest experiments we did was um, we used these RASP inhibitors, and we, we thought, okay, can we inhibit allergic inflammation? Can we inhibit uh, autoimmune inflammation, or so-called Th1 cytokines and Th2 cytokines in allergy, or Th17 cytokines, which are sort of uh, autoimmune and cytokine release syndrome and so forth. So, what we found was yes, all of the above works. So, RAS sort of sit upstream of, of cytokines. Um, it, they're a very acute marker of, of disease and inflammation. And if you go to PubMed and you type in your favorite autoimmune disease and, and a RASP, such as malandialdehyde or hydroxyononal you'll find tens of thousands of papers. I did it the other day. I typed in Mount and I think I got sixty something thousand papers. So these are clearly defined markers. The aha behind Aldera is no one's ever thought of inhibiting these uh, uh, compounds as inflammatory mediators, and, and I think we're seeing the, the beneficial effects of that now with therapy. So we have acute RAS, which can be measured by lc mask, We have a sort of chronic, Effects of bound RASP has we measured by ELISA, and that's the reason for the two to twenty-eight day range for the for the trials. We'll start two of them. Uh, uh, we're hoping to have initial results uh, by the end of the year. Of course, all that depends on asset development, and it depends on COVID, and it depends on enrollment, and and, and trial design, and, and so forth. But. Um, these are probably not uh, very long term, as you as you know, twenty eight days this is not a long trial in, in dry eye disease. Uh, so, so whatever the case, uh, we're looking forward to a fairly efficient development path yeah, going
1: forward. Very good. So, I, you know, I like what you're doing. You're you allergy. You're in you know you're in back of the eye. You're doing systemic. Let's back up. Um, I want to learn a little bit more about. So, you're MD PhD because you're a scientist, right? You're you're basic science guy. You love pathology. You're you love um, the eye space because it's really a nice petri dish, which is which is what I that's why I did it because everything's right there. You you don't have to do any scans. Everything's right there. Um, and and for us, you know, clinicians that I still have a day job, we actually make people see better, which is it's just an unbelievable treat. But for you, uh, who taught you how to run a company? I mean, like you know, you're classically trained as an MD PhD did you just kind of fall into it? Cause I noticed you were you know, on a board um, and you kind of gotten probably some osmotic uh, <laughs> knowledge that way. But do you, what do you tell a young guy who's MD, PhD and has the entrepreneurial bug? What do they, where do you
0: learn how to run a company? Oh, uh, it's, 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 I think it is a, an apprenticeship more or less. So, so what happened in my case is when I uh, started graduate school uh, and, and this is a long time ago, so this is in the early 90s. Um, uh, biotech was a very new thing, but um, the principal investigator of the lab, my thesis advisor, started a biotech company. And and at that point, it was unheard of. I mean, we all sort of looked at it, like, you know, we yeah. going to be involved in this, right? Because it was sort of toxic in a way, or taboo, or no one really, really did this. And there was sort of this notion that industry was poison in a way. It's really poisoned the true academic nature of research and so forth. So at first, none of us really were excited by it. And, and I, I, in particular, found it sort of um, peripheral at best to, to what we were trying to do in the lab and so forth. But over time, I got really interested in it because in and out of the lab were venture capitalists, investment bankers, consultants, uh, the people that actually worked at the companies, and, and so forth. And it was, to me, very interesting that whole ecosystem that surrounds the development of a novel drug. It's not just a no. scientist with test tubes and beakers. And, no. It's not at all. That. <laughs> right. So, I mean, as you know, based on, your, based on your, your venture work, it really does require this large group of, of, of semi disparate entities that come together and, and get a drug uh, uh, to market. And so I just became very, very interested. And I, I had a, a friend that, that lived near me, and, and she said, you know what you should do? You should, you should network. And I said, what's networking? What you and she said, yeah, that means meeting other people, and you ask them for two or three other people. So the advice I give folks is, if you're interested in, in business or, or the business side of medicine or drug development or biotech or pharma, whatever it is, go talk to them and ask those people for two or three other people to talk to. And so I I kept a record of this in grad school, and I talked to about 100 uh, in my my spare time. And what I figured out I really wanted to do, at least for a little while after graduating from the PhD program, was venture capital. So I spent about um, two years in venture capital right after I graduated, and I thought, okay. am I going to do this or am I going to then go to a residency and yeah. fellowship and you, you know, you know the drill. Right? Yeah. And, and, and meanwhile,
1: just, meanwhile, you're like, you know, you're a grad student, so you're not making any money. So you're like your family, everybody, you know, whoever's with you is like, dude, what's you're like, what the hell are you doing over here? Like, let's make some money. I mean, like, what do I
0: do? right. I mean, it was crazy? crazy. I remember, I remember, <laughs> I remember uh, my wife looking at me thinking, what are you doing yeah and especially back then like this just wasn't done yeah it was so,
1: unconventional
0: it was unconventional so what i decided to do um uh was think about it carefully and a, and a, a young company had just come into our our vc fund where i was at the time and uh, we couldn't fund them they were too early but i was very excited about the technology so i actually left the first vc firm joined the startup um uh you know i, I had no salary with that startup i had uh some options and maybe some warrants and so forth but and, and eventually i got paid but it was a, an amazing time fortunately my wife had a job so i was able i didn't have any kids and i was able to do that uh, ran that company eventually got to got to run that company and then we sold it to another company we're back to venture uh, uh, for another ten ten years or so at Domain Associates, which was at the time one of the largest in all this healthcare VC funds, which is where we saw Aldera. In fact, uh, Aldera was my first investment back in, in two thousand five. So I've been on the board since uh, two thousand five, and and became moved from sort of principal to entrepreneur residence in uh, two thousand twelve, which is the CEO of this company. And it, wow. I, I tell people it only took me until I was about 40 to figure out that what I really enjoyed doing was creating companies and, and running uh, those companies. Um, uh, I love the investment side, as I'm sure you do. I think it's fun, and yeah. it's willing to talk to, to entrepreneurs and smart people and deal with new technologies and think about the future and imagine and so forth. Um, uh, but I felt I also wanted to get my hands dirtier and actually build things. Myself, and and that's that's where how I wound up um, back on the operating side of
1: El Paso. Very good. So for those of you listening, you know, there's a lot there. There's so much there. There's 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 you know apprenticeship, right? So you you just don't kind of just jump. You've got to go in in house into the tent. Someone's got to take you underneath their wing. Um, what I also loved uh, about your story is you're following your heart really right? Um, at the end of the day, you're like, you're, you have an open mind and you're, you know, you're, here you are with the MD, PhD. I mean, you know, it's hard because now you're, you're like vested in this big training. You didn't just do the MD, yeah. the PhD. And you're like, dude, I got to pay for all this stuff, all these loans. Yeah. <laughs> and you didn't. You, stepped, you kept going and you deferred salary. And then I think that, but luck, I think also right plays a huge part because had you not sold that company, let's say, God yeah. forbid back then you had a bad taste in your mouth, something yeah. happened. Like you know, that could have, you know, that could have, you know, put you in a different category. Maybe, maybe you've gone back to training. But it didn't. It worked out. And then you continue to to do what you uh, what you did. And I'm I'm sure this attitude really helps because you're just constantly learning and evolving. And that's really critical.
0: Right. right no true and the and the other thing i'd say along those lines is it's never a straight line Never. right people i, I think sometimes people have this notion that um you, you join a vc firm or you start a company or you join a company and it's you know two years later you're going to get bought for five million dollars whatever um it's almost never like that I mean, those, yeah. are, those are really the exceptions and and for me I've, I think I've derived a lot of pleasure in, in getting involved with in something that's, that was new and different and, and therefore not straightforward and working on it and building it. And I, and I think over our professional lives, which are finite, like we don't live to be 300, right? so, so over our professional lives, I, I, I think it's important to, to work on something consistently and persistently. And, and at the end of the day, you can say, you know what? I built this. I worked hard. I built this from the ground up. Yeah. And look at it now. Yeah. There's a lot of fulfillment
1: there. I see in your eyes, man. That's great. Good for you. Well, it's a pleasure. You know, I know you got to get, I know you got to jump on a call. Um, We always end uh, our sort of sessions and most of what you've already covered, but if you were to highlight some things that are really pretty mandatory, if you were to pass that down to um, young entrepreneurs who are in your shoes, what would you give them?
0: Well, definitely the networking piece. Talk to as many different people as you can. See what excites them. See what makes their eyes light up. Uh, you've got to take risk. You've got to get out there and, and somehow get your foot in the door. It's not always comfortable. It's not always clear cut. Uh, but, but risk is, is part of life. Uh, you're going to fail. There are hurdles. You're going to make mistakes. But I, I just remember an interview I had once and, uh, and the guy said, You know, I, I don't want to hear about your successes. I only want to hear about your failures. And his point, I think, was we learn more from failures. And, and I think, as an entrepreneur or, or someone who's building a business, you've got to get comfortable with that because, as I said, it's, it's never a straight line. And then finally, hard work. We, we all have to keep at it. We all have to work 16 hour days sometimes or all day sometimes. Yeah, uh, but the combination of all that, and as you said, with a little bit of
1: luck rolled then, good things will happen. Yeah, good man. Hey, we're at we're at the uh, half point, and I, I know you got to run. It's just such a pleasure. I'd love to hopefully uh, see you at one of the meetings. Uh, hopefully, sure. hopefully next year. I don't know. We'll see. They're talking about Hawaiian Eye now. I just saw a note that Hawaiian Eye may go. I don't know. Like we'll see. But I'd love to get Craig and uh, yourself maybe, hopefully in person. I'm done with these Zoom meetings stuff. So you know, they get together for actual drink, and uh, I salute you, man. Congratulations on all the work you've done. It's great.
0: Tremendous. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate, again, the, uh, the opportunity to be, uh, to be here today. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on another episode. If you're not already a loyal follower of the podcast, please click subscribe and give us a rating. Also, be sure to sign up for our complimentary innovation showcases at ois.net.